This is the Today's RDH Dental Hygiene Podcast. The podcast for curious and passionate dental hygienists. Hello, Kara Vavrosky here from Today's RDH, and I am here with the wonderful Emily Bogie, who is the Dental Administrative Chair and Director of both the Dental Hygiene and Dental Assisting Programs at Hawkeye Community College in Waterloo, Iowa. Today, we are continuing our preventive discussion series, which is sponsored by Dentsply Serona. Thank you. Um, and we are going to talk about polishing at the preventive care appointment in the current protocol. So hello, Emily. Thank you for being here. Hey, Kara, thanks for having me. Um, You know, it's so good to talk to you every month. And we're starting the year off with uh, a topic that's probably going to light up social media because you know what? It has been lighting it up already. So I think that we're going to maybe spark some some new discussion on polishing and selective polishing and what that all means. Right. And, and And I see it all over the place. Well, what does this mean? Well, I do selective polishing. Well, but what does that mean? So I want to take it a step back and I'm going to use the dreaded phrase. When I was in hygiene school, um, I learned selective polishing. And so this meant that we would only the polish the teeth that needed it, the ones with stain. But then after I graduated and in the next edition of the Wilkins book, there was a revision of the recommended protocol and they called it essential selective polishing. However, that terminology didn't take off either. So now we're trying to seek this general consensus that selective polishing does mean polishing every tooth. However, doing it with the least abrasive grit needed to remove the stain or biofilm present. All of that change, I think, is what we need to discuss first. And you hit the nail on the head. I think... um, A lot of the confusion that we see in dentistry comes from the fact that not all of the clinicians receive the same message when there's a standard of care change. And the students always learn the new terminology that's in the textbooks. And then you have some professors that are still teaching the old terminology from maybe the addition of the textbook before. And then this is also further complicated by the fact that, how do I want to say this? When you look at the folks who are working at a dental practice and actually um, deciding amongst the team of healthcare professionals which standard of care they should be giving to their patients and having a consistent standard of care within that practice, you start to see all kinds of different opinions. And the other thing that maybe people don't consider is that, um, when those offices look for standards of care changes, they're not looking at the current research. And maybe all everybody's looking at a different textbook version or everybody's looking at a different research study. So first of all, getting that office on the same page for standard of care, that's that's gotta be important too. What are you looking at to establish that standard of care? What literature, what research? Right. I I totally agree. So ongoing research and literature states that when the clinician does choose to use coarse grit, it should be followed by finer grit pastes, like perhaps medium and then fine, because abrasion or scratching of the enamel increases surface area, spaces where stain and, um, and bacteria 
can adhere and become even more difficult to remove. And the way I always put it is that, and, and when I'm just uh, describing like how someone still needs to clean around a crown because it has more nooks and crannies, I know it's a little bit off topic here, but I always tell them that that, that margin of that crown to a bacteria is like the Grand Canyon to us. It is a whole lot of surface area to live, thrive, grow, become virulent, etc. Right. And just like that, like I always tell the students, it's like the surface of a really nice countertop or a surface of a really nice hardwood floor. If you scratch it and you leave behind all these nice grooves, there's going to be all kinds of space for germs to proliferate. So when you're talking about, you know, the surface of your kitchen countertop, if you use something really abrasive to clean it, that's a microscopic space for all the germs, like maybe that's on your, from your uncooked chicken, all the germs to, you know, it's, it's, that's a really good mental image though, to think about, um, on the surface of your tooth, having all these microscopic places. Um, and I think about like when I look at dental commercials or when I look at magazine advertisements and they show those, um, images of those electron microscopes where they blow the surface up real big and then you see all those scratches. That's why you don't want to use coarse paste in the whole mouth because the coarse paste, coarse paste, that's kind of hard to say. It <laughs> increases the number, not only the number of those ridges or those grooves and spaces for the germs to grow, but then the depth of those scratch surfaces. So not only is that Grand Canyon truly grand, truly deep, but it, the number of Grand Canyons per tooth increases. Bingo. Emily, you're great. So this is, this is, this is what essential selective polishing um, was attempting to address. Um, simply put, coarse paste should be not be used in the entire mouth of all patients. Like you said, one size fits all is no longer the current product, uh, protocol. Um, Long-winded, but this is fact. Right, and then we need to throw in the fact that there's so many varieties of paste in the marketplace today. Um, the dental industry is now providing those therapeutic pastes in addition to the cosmetic value that's in the paste to remove the stain. So we really start to see the head spin in the audience when, when, you know, when I talk about lecturing, when you're talking about all of the different factors that go into the discussion of these specific topics. Right. Yeah. So now we can say that polishing um, can be therapeutic rather than only cosmetic. And so how, how do we get that message out there to anyone listening and to any clinicians that need to know? Right. It's a big message and it's a big job this month. And that's what's important that we're talking about something that's not only a hot topic, but an important topic to the patients and, and to the hygienists who are out there listening to us. Yeah. So let's start with the current polishing recommendations. Um, according to the 12th edition of the Wilkins text, um, after treatments by scaling, which means power scaling or hand scaling, um, and other hygiene care, the teeth should be assessed for the presence of remaining stain. It is at this time that the clinician should choose the polishing agent and modality to complete the polishing based on the individual's stain and whether there is natural tooth structure only or are there restorations present. Um, the direct textbook quote states, preservation of the surfaces of both the teeth and the restorations is of primary importance during all cleaning and polishing procedures. Now, furthermore, the text states, 
One size grit prophylaxis paste is not appropriate for every patient and is unethical and clinically the wrong choice. Whoa, Wilkins. Wow. That's a big statement, right? Unethically and clinically the wrong choice. That's, mm-hmm. that's big stuff. Yeah, I agree. But when you think about it, it totally makes sense. Um, if you are treating your patients with a cookie cutter approach, that really is unethical. Even when it just comes to something as simple as we might think as simple as polishing. Polishing, it's, it's a system and it produces wear on the teeth as the end result. So if there's no stain that you're trying to wear off, what are you removing? Right. So we really should be considering the grit and taking the necessary precautions to decrease that wear by using the smallest particle size possible and the least amount of pressure that is necessary. And in areas where the heavier grit is needed, we should follow up with a smoother grit. Um, Wilkins also states the shape, hardness, and body strength of the polish, polishing paste all present unique factors to be considered. The smoothest grit will leave the glossiest, most scratch-free surface for the patient that will be most resistant to new bacteria accumulation. So, you know, that's, that's the fact of the matter. We want the smoothest grit that's going to leave us the glossiest surface so those little critters can't make a new home. But I also want to mention that we need to use what's correct for the surface that we're trying to make glossy. And I recently uh, went to a CE where they were talking about using neutral pH products uh, to polish restorations and to polish implants. And so I think that we need to acknowledge the fact that what we're using is just as important in terms of like what it's made up of and what the pH of that product is, is just as important as how gritty it is. And so what the, the program I went to Um, that was presenting more recent research for the AAP guidelines and what we're going to be wanting to use to clean restorations and dental implant restorations specifically. They were saying that the diatomaceous earth um, or a super fine silex paste really should be used on those restorations and around implants rather than that basic volcanic type pumps. And so those products that... um, are specifically created to be more silica-based or smooth, focusing on using those where there's restorations and implants is going to be very important. Um, a lot of the implant and other dental material companies are stepping up and they're recommending that hygienists check with the manufacturer's recommendation before they just start polishing materials that they're not familiar with. And that can be a lot of work considering the sheer number of new dental materials that are out there. So we expect every hygienist to be incredibly knowledgeable about every single surface in that patient's mouth, um, what it's made up of. Incredibly knowledgeable, no. But acknowledging the fact that it's there and that they need to know what they're polishing, yes, that's what we expect. And that's what the manufacturers expect, that you're going to care for the surface that their engineers created with an appropriate product. And so the lecture I listened to said that appropriate product really should be a fairly neutral pH. And if it's a non-natural tooth surface, you're going to want to avoid that volcanic pumice. That's good advice. Um, So now 
What about the therapeutic nature of pastes? Um, how can a hygienist narrow down the field of pastes that provide various therapeutic benefits? So there's a lot of them out there. Um, a lot of different pastes, a lot of different benefits. Um, some of the categories are the paste with added desensitizing agents, such as that 5% potassium nitrate, um, the arginine products, arginine to uh, create a desensitization effect on the open dentinal tubules. Um, some bicarbonate pastes are available. And all of those things commonly address desensitization on sensitive areas. Then you have other pastes with added things that strengthen the teeth, whether it's fluoride or amorphous calcium phosphate. Um, some of them have a combination of both. And these strengthen the enamel, and they try to reverse any potential wearing away of the patient's surface or um, any built-up layer of demineralization. So they want to add components back to the surface to re-strengthen the enamel or the dentin, whatever is, is being polished on the natural tooth. So some of these polishing pastes also have a form of hydrogen peroxide in them. So these are the ones that are listing um, added whitening. Because they're saying by adding the hydrogen peroxide to the paste that we're not only going to have the grit to remove the surface stains, but you're going to have the hydrogen peroxide to brighten up the surface after those stains are removed. Holy molar. That is a lot of choices. Um, and, and, and dental hygienists also need to consider how a few of those chemicals may affect the patient's medical health. Yeah. Um, it's, it's important. You know, it's, it's not all about the grit. I wish it was just about the grit because it would make life a lot easier for us. But it's about the chemical additives in the paste too. So we need to provide a few things because there are chemicals in these pastes that we're using. And so providing things like eye protection, um, controlling the aerosol and the splatter that's created by these polishing hand pieces, especially when you're using an air polisher. I know we don't have a lot of time today to get into the specific components of the air polishing um, because we're more trying to focus on the rubber cup um, hand piece aspect, but we need to consider the patient's total health. If somebody has a heart condition, we're not necessarily gonna wanna be putting a whole lot of bicarbonate in their system if we don't know what what medications they're taking, how severe is their heart condition, how do they react to things like um, other things with bicarbonate. So does the doctor tell them maybe they can't take Tums? I'm just you know, throwing out an example. It has to be whole body focused. It's not just about the stain on the tooth in the mouth. It's about the whole patient. Right, right. Um... And that, I think, is the take-home for this month's video. Um, we need to personalize the care we provide when polishing. Mm -hmm. um, and I understand that offices cannot be expected to have every single polishing paste option mm -hmm. on hand for patients. Um, that is just not cost-effective or even efficient. Um, yet, having four or five is not uncommon. Um, many offices focus on providing a variety of flavor, um, than they do in providing a variety in grit and therapeutic benefit. Mm -hmm. um, so we, we, and I think you'll agree, challenge you, anyone watching, to consider the possibilities of changing that in practice and in your practice. Um, 
Now, on that note, I think that is all the time we have for this month. Mm -hmm. um, so again, I would like to thank Dense by Serona for sponsoring this mm -hmm. video. And um, if the viewers have any suggestions for future topics you would like to see covered, um, we pretty much have our stuff um, you know, organized and whatnot, but it's like, hey, if, if, you, if you really would love to see something, you know, let us know. Um, we have a contact mm -hmm. form on today's RDH. My email is everywhere. Just Google Kara Vavrosky's email or whatever. Um, we, we'd be happy to investigate some of this stuff. And, and so thank you, everybody, for watching. And thank you, Emily. Thank you. It's always so good to talk to you. You too. All right. Well, may all your patients floss. Thank you for listening to the Today's RDH Dental Hygiene Podcast. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. 